you are not listening to the BBC. It is not seven o'clock on Sunday. BBC regrets to inform you that there is no shipping forecast bulletin issued by the wet office on behalf of the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency to bring you tonight. We apologize for the inconvenience and offer the following words to all navigators and trawlers in the coastal waters around the British Isles. Eternal Father, strong to save whose arm hath bound the restless lady, who bit the mighty ocean deep, his own appointed limit. Oh, hear us when we cry to thee, for those in peril on the sea. to bring you more adventures from his magic radio. Hello there. fortunate to witness a meteorite fall quite near where I lived. Yes, 
uh, when I went to investigate this thing, I, I noticed that it had a very curious purple glow. Yes, my experiments went on to show that it was made of a substance that had hitherto never been discovered before. You see, it contained a stable mix of every element in the periodic table. Uh, and my research proposal to Professor Rutherford at Cambridge University stipulated that it was part of the very essence of the universe. A seed stone, I called it. And it was, it is my belief, that this substance held the key to the very secrets of creation. Uh, there were seven rocks originally, but as soon as the authorities found out about it, they were on to me. A few got confiscated and some got lost, but the ones that I had left I used as a diode in one of my radios. Do you know what a diode is? Well, it's a very important part of the radio which acts like a gate, and it only allows the frequency to move in one direction, which causes a blah blah blah, and so on and so on. That's a story for another time, right? Suffice to say that I built a special invention which spins this stone around very quickly, causing a major gravity field, and that's such a, a rabbit hole. And that's, that's a bit like a wormhole, but it's much bigger and more useful. Where am I going with all this? Oh, yes, sorry. The, the, the long and short of it is that my radio can tune into and open up the living past. That's very exciting, isn't it? And because of that, I'm able to travel through time. But the best bit is, I don't have to go anywhere if I don't want to. I can do it all from the comfort of my big, old, comfortable leather armchair. Oh, that's lovely. And so can you. But you know, July has been a terribly hot month, hasn't it? Oh, my word. As you heard last month, I was enjoying my lack of fire. And once again, as you can hear, see, I have no fire burning, which is for me most unusual. <laughs> this month, I have all sorts of adventures lined up for you, but I thought that I'd kick things off with a little music, as I usually do, which encapsulates the feeling that we get when the sun comes out. No, 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 it's not the sun has got its hat on with its racist undertones like last month, but a rather strange story of a police officer who has been smoking too much of the herbal mixture in the sunshine. A situation that I'm sure is not in common. <laughs> in any case, uh, this was a song that was first recorded in the 1920s. And I'm not sure exactly where the idea first uh, became established. But in any case, the song went on to become a favorite with children for many decades. It's never too late to discover this song. And if you've never heard of it before, then I'm sure you'll enjoy the laughing policeman. <laughs> Everybody 
upon point you need, he laughs upon you need. He laughs at everybody when he's walking in the street. He never cares of laughing, he says he's never tried. But once he did arrest the man and laughed at Jimmy
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Occasionally, they let me on the airwaves to test things out and broadcast to the troops in France. Of course, this was before my stint at the other secret base in Ottenham near Hull. And if you remember a few months back, I told you all about that. Yes, it is. You remember? It might. And as you'll think that I'm just making all this up, but it's all so far-fetched I couldn't. Just take out your telephone and Google the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, and you'll soon see that it is all absolutely true. Yes, let me make a few adjustments to the radio. That's it. Here we go, then. Through the tin hat shape speaker. I say it can. This is England calling. This is England calling. You're listening to Station 12 right here on 1212 kilohertz. Coming to you live from Brighton. That's right, Hanbashers. You're tuned in to your old friend, Red, I mean, Hildegard, the captain. And I'm going to be bringing you some of the fabulous smash hits and views from Brighton. Not half, I'm not. Stay tuned, Tommy, as the captain is going to be whipping it up tonight. And especially for all you lonely squaddies over there who are feeling lonesome tonight, this is Sam Lannan and his orchestra, and a dippy ditty entitled, Are You Lonesome Tonight? That's right, cats. Grab a chair and dance around your tent as if your best girl is by your side. <laughs> Dog comes in for its dinner. 
Look at old Fido, I'd say. Ha! At least he's getting his rations. Now, oh, the next one goes out to Private James Wilson, stationed near Vogue in the Rome Valley. And the message reads, It is better to grow a moustache than it is to get a haircut. I repeat, it is better to grow a moustache than it is to get a haircut. But if the fish is out of water, be sure to boil an egg. Did you get that? Splendid! Right, just one more, and it's time for me to tell a few jokes. Oh, no, I hear you say. Well, bear with me. It'll all be over by Christmas. Uh, no, that was the other one, wasn't it? I couldn't even that way first. What's this? I can hear a voice coming through. Whoever can this be? Station 12 calling BSBO. Station 12 calling BSBO. Are you listening? Oh, Richard. Richard, it's me. You. I mean, I am you. And, uh, and I'm falling in. Uh, I can't stop myself. So if something's happened to the temporal stone, I'll eat you soon and it's sucking me off. I'm sorry, what did you say? This is all very irregular. Controller, can you hear this? What's happening? Is there anyone else in the building who can give assistance here? CQD, CQD, dash dot dash dot dash dash dot dash dash dot dot quickly, please. Don't, don't panic. It's you. Yourself talking to you. I am you and you are me and we are all together. See how they run like pigs from a gun. See how they fly. What on earth are you talking about? Oh, this is all most intrusive. Who are you? Oh, oh, I'm feeling very giddy. Most gay. Receiving your CQD call. Receiving your distressed CQD call. Station 12, please expand. There's nothing to panic about. Well, not really. I'll have it all sorted out very soon. Oh, the room. Everything's spinning around. Move out of my way. Oh, no, really. I feel quite faint. Oh, dear, oh, dear. This isn't good. This is not good at all. I do hope I can find a replacement rectifier for health in time or in both scuppered. Oh, goodness me. I do feel clear. No, clear indeed. My head is spinning. Oh, please don't all things around. What's that? Who are you and what happened? Where, where am I? I don't understand. I, I, I appear to be at home. At least it looks a bit like home. I'm sure I recognize it, but it's certainly different. Richard, are you sitting down? Well, yes, I am. Why? I'm about to tell you something that might be quite shocking for you. Oh, go on then. Listen carefully. I am you. But I am you in the future. And the radio has caused us to swap places. Right now, it is Sunday evening. July, in fact, in the year 2013. I beg your pardon? That's right. 72 years in the future. Your future. Is this true? It most certainly is. Uh, how did I get here? Do you see the radio next to the chair? Yes. Oh, please don't touch it just yet. It's imperative that none of the controls are altered until I can work out how to rectify this quandary. If this is true, then it means that my theory works. This is wonderful news. I was right. The tiny traveling capabilities of the Seedstone are indeed a workable principle. This is tremendous news. I'm so thrilled. Yes, you were right, but I'm the living proof of it. Radio. 
You've been on the radio all your life. This is all fascinating. Feel free to not give me a explanation. Have we met? Uh, I don't think so. How do you do? I'm... Oh, I have no wait a moment. Think of the Ministry of the Protocol. Ah, I'm uh, Captain Hildegard Fotherington Go-Lightly. Oh, I say. Very grand. <laughs> a pleasure to meet you, Captain. Yes, Mr. Chigley, that's right. He's a friend of mine who just popped in, so to speak. Are you hiding behind the curtain, Mr. Merriweather? Is this a party game? It's strange, but I can hear your voice coming out of that contraption. It is not a contraption, but, uh, but, but yes, I am in, I am on the radio, but right now I am, um, uh, out in the shed. Yes, that's right, I'm out in the shed, hearing Hildegard, how my transmitter works. You're in the shed? No, don't interrupt. Well, this is quite unusual. I wasn't expecting guests. You should have told me. I could have faced a nice rhubarb crumble. You know, you do look strangely familiar. Hmm. Now that I think about it, so do you. You're not family, are you? Right, but any other. Don't say a word. Mrs. Jiggly, everything's fine. There's nothing to see here. Yeah? Well, if you say so. But as I say, when I heard shouting, I thought you were calling me. You know, something you wanted me to do. No, Mrs. Jiggly, everything's just as it should be. Well, as far as you're concerned, anyway. Oh, before I leave for the evening, do you still need me to buy a turnip tomorrow? What? Do you still need a turnip? You wrote it on the notice board. Oh, yes, whatever takes you, Nancy. A turnip? Look, can we stop talking about vegetables, please? Rather rude. Oh, we get like that sometimes. But still here. It's been a pleasure meeting you, Mr... Go lightly. Mr. Go lightly. The pleasure's all mine, madam. Well, good night, gentlemen. I'll see you in the morning, Mr. Merriweather. And don't forget, you've got a shenotic disappointment in the morning. Good night, Mrs. Jiggly. Good night. Well, that was interesting. Who is she? This one is Jiggly, my housekeeper. Good Lord, I have a housekeeper. Well, that's old age for you. What did you think was going to happen when all your wives were gone? Wives? Look, Reginald, you're going to have to help me sort this out. You can't stay there, and I certainly can't stay here in this garrison. There'd be far too much explaining to do on both sides. It's, it's just too complicated. I suppose that's true. I have to admit, though, that it all seems rather exciting. Can you tell me, is the war still on? Uh, no. That ended 68 years ago. Oh, who won? The Germans. You're pulling my leg. Yes, I am. Now, look, there isn't much time. Mind you, that's an inappropriate phrase given the circumstances. However, in real terms, we have to act quickly before things start changing. Things start changing? Yes. If I get caught, I might change that whole course of history. That's big of you. No, no, it's not like that. It's more a case of it being uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, listen, go over to the desk and look in the top drawer. Can you see it? Yes. Now what? Have you opened it? I have. What can you see? I see barrels. Most of them. Can you find a rectifier amongst them? You know what that looks like, don't you? Now, look here. I was trained by David Robinson. I know how to identify valves. Good. Have you found one? Well, there's a mercury arc rectifier. Is that any good? Yes, that's perfect. The mercury can handle hundreds of kilowatts. I know. The mercury ions neutralize the space charge effect resulting in a low voltage drop. Yes, Nash. The benefits of youth and strong memory. Right, anyway, go to the radio and find the corresponding 
Look, at the moment it probably has a GHNSD or even a CV617 in there. Just pop that out very carefully and fit the new one in. That's a ticket. Right now, all you need to do is to rearrange the coordinates. Which function is that? The central one with the date on it, and the one to the left with smaller indices. What do I set them to? Um, uh, I can't remember. Oh, marvellous. Well, we're doing well so far, then. Well, it's all very well for you. Your brain isn't cluttered with decades of information like mine is, and most of it is identical from all the times that I've lived through it. I'm still not convinced that any of this is happening to Bill. I did have some rather dodgy-looking pie and mash down in the canteen earlier. How can I be certain that I haven't just passed out and all this is just some bad dream? You're calling me a bad dream? Look, you can't be certain. That's part of the problem, but, uh, wait, I've had an idea. Whilst I try to remember how to get us both back where we came from, why don't you read out my letters to the listeners, hmm? Listeners? That's where we're still there. Yeah? Oh, that's wonderful. I had no idea. Good evening, listeners everywhere. You're listening to Station 12. Oh, stop it, you tart. Reach down to the side of the chair and find that mailbag. Yes, uh, uh, you mean this pillowcase with a few postcards and letters in it? Don't spoil the illusion. Yes, that one. Also, do you see the telephone player on the side there next to you? Yes. Well, there's a record on there which is all queued up and ready to play. That's your background music. Oh, I know how to do this. It's just like where I left off, isn't it? What do you mean? Well, when you turned up, I was reading letters out. And here I am again. Ah, it's all very exciting. Hmm, you maybe. Tell me that you know what to do, yes? I'm ready when you are. But while you're doing that, I'll try to remember what the coordinates are to get me back there and you back here. Righty here. has brought this week for all you chaps post no disease. No, wait, that's not the case, now, is it? I suppose I mean for all you people who have written in who might be listening tonight. Ah, here's one. This is from someone who simplifies himself as DPK. Ah, bet you'd this there, sir. Mum's the word, eh? And he says, Dear Reggie, how come you can't travel in time beyond your lifetime? How will you see? Until just now, I didn't know that I could, but, sir... Uh, on balance, uh, I think that I'd have to say that, uh, let's see, it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't seem to be, uh, possible that if a time was a, a, a period in history when radio didn't exist, uh, or indeed electricity, as radios depend on electricity, and indeed magnetism, electromagnetism. I suppose that now it is being invented, then any point in the future is fair game for the physics, but as for the past, then I suspect that anything prior to Tesla is pretty much impossible. Does that answer your question? As I say, I can't speak with much authority. This is the first time that this has happened, as far as I'm aware. But thanks for writing in. Right, here's a letter from someone who signs in as Jules Slater. And he says, Dear Reggie, I really enjoy your show, and I wanted to write to you to see if you could read out a dedication to Hope. Hope is my daughter, and she's 17 on the 5th of August. I'd like to wish her very many returns of the day, and hope uh, that you have a wonderful day. You have the whole of time ahead of you, so embrace it. Make it your own. 
best wishes and much love also come from Dawn, Noah, Beth and your mum as well. So have a great day. Well, Hope, it looks like everyone is rooting for you to enjoy yourself on the celebration of your birthday. And on behalf of myself, can I also say a very happy birthday to you on this special day. Thanks for writing in, Jules. Your contribution is much appreciated. Okay, okay. What do we have now? This looks like a letter which is made up from newspaper cuttings. I'm very curious. This is a letter which comes from someone called Timothy Brewster. What is it, Greg? Is there a problem? Have you worked out how to restore order yet? No, that's not the problem. Go on, let's get it over with. Very well. This letter says, Dear Reginald, as I told you last time, my parole comes up this year, and in a few months, I'm going to be released. It's amazing to think that it has been over 50 years, but I don't resent that at all. No, I am calm and collected now, and not only that, I am immune from punishment. For as you know, you can't be punished for the same crime twice. It's wonderful that you are enjoying a renewed fame on the radio, but I know you as the charlatan that you are. Aha! I gave up my life for you. All these years wasted. Inside, whilst you were off, who knows where, enjoying yourself. Well, now it's over. I know where you live, and when I get out, I will find you. That doesn't sound very good, Reginald. No, it isn't. When I say come back, if you can remember this, I'm begging you, promise me that you'll stay away from home on the 8th of September, 1962. Do not forget that day, you hear? Oh, play the music. What do you mean? Uh, it's a fixed point. Whatever else happens or whatever else I can do, this one thing is fixed and dialed together. We have to avoid it as much as we can. You know, the future doesn't look as appealing as it did moments ago. That's it. I've remembered. I told Vera, I said in times of panic, set the attenuated negative diode to 50. A-N-D-50. It's the default setting for home. That's what it is. Home. In a nutshell. Right. And what am I supposed to do about that? Get the feedback control and tell it ever since slices the so that it points to 50. You mean this one? The big dial that's labeled A-N-D? Yes, that's it. Be careful now. Be careful. But now, it's time to make our daily visit to the Yorkshire Dale village of Kettlebrit, as we catch up with the residents in our dreary drama of simple country folk. Come with us now to the village pub, where we see what's going on in The Fletchers. <laughs> Oh, it's Ship, 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 sailing on the deep blue sea. 
say there's no need to shout shit at me like that. Besides, you're 100 miles from the sea in both directions. Are we? 100 miles from the sea, you say? Oh, morning, Winkananda. Hello, Dickie. How's your good surf this morning? Mummy Grubble. I was a hundred miles from the sea when they nearly gunned me down. Bam, 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 bam. Crossfire, you see. Coming in from all directions, I said, Ginger, we're going to have to take a new tack. Give it fifteen degrees north and head for that aircraft carrier. I used to fly sea fires, you know. I know, Dickie. You tell us every time you come in. Pardon? I said you tell us every time you come in. No, that's right. Every time I came in, it was the same. Bam, bam, bam. All very last minute. Skin of the teeth, sir. But we gave the jellies a good spanking, eh? Would you like a drink, Dickie? Don't mind if I do. Thank you very much. I, I don't think you were offering you one on the house, Dickie. Pardon? Never mind. Uh, Dorothy, get the wing commander a half pint of tailors, would you? Very kind of you, Jack. Lovely. What's that, Jack? Yeah? My goat. All gone. They just run away. Must have been some tourists leaving the gates open. I don't know where they are. There must be, ooh, 35 head of goats. Gone. Pardon? It's Nash's goats, Wing Commander. They've all run away. Goats? Yes. Farmer Greenwood. Jed Greenwood. Who? Jed Greenwood. The farmer. Nadja. That's what we call him. Oh, yes, Nadja. Hello, Nadja. How's your goats? Oh, all gone, Wing Commander. Gone? Escapees, eh? Well, don't you worry. I'll scramble the crew and soon track the little blighters down. Don't you worry. That's the best engineer, does. Thanks, you ink, Commander. You just leave it with me. Would you like a drink, Nancy? The bear again, you need a beer. I'll have a bottle of stout. That'll be uh, two shillings, please. Of course. You know, Jack, I'm just losing for glass in this village. Uh, well, well, what do you mean, Dorothy? Well, there's a big world out there. And so far in life, all I've been exposed to is village faith and petty-minded bigotry. I'm not sure that I follow you, Dorothy. Well, that's the problem, Jack. You don't see it, do you? Uh, see what, Dorothy? Oh, the futility of it all. Everyone here is so concerned with their own little goings on that nobody has time for the bigger picture. Uh, have you been reading books again? Oh, I've been thinking of joining a commune and discovering this then. There'll be no self-discovery while I'm around, not under my roof. Oh, uh, hello, Daisy. Hello, Nancy Simpleton. It's not a problem, love. We've been very quiet this morning. Uh, Daisy, that uh, blows that you're wearing. Yes, Mr Simpleton. Do you, do you have one that's uh, a little bit more, you know, lower coat? Yeah. Oh, well, it's very popular with the customers to have a barmaid with a, a voluptuous cleavage. Mm-hmm. I see what I can find, Mr. Simpleton. <laughs> so, um, Dorothy, uh, about this uh, self-discovery that you were talking about. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's Gotham. All 35 of them better. Did you give your fans back up? Yep, got them all. All 35 of them. How did you do that, Dickie? Brought them all down with that shotgun. Bam, bam, bam. Little slant-eyed cowards. <laughs> you, you, you've shot my goat. Pardon? Have you shot all Nadja's goats, Dickie? Yes, we have. Uh, every last one of them. <laughs> 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 That was The Fletchers, 
our daily drama set in the dreary Dale's village of Kettlegrit, and you can hear the next installment tomorrow at the same time. The series was written by Bramwell Slater and was recorded in our normal studios. Now, in the second part of our in-depth program about... Let's go to the
The view of him in the Brooklyn Bridge was as familiar to him as his own reflection. He drifted lanes carelessly for his own amusement as the van's stereo crackled. He waxed the CD player in the next track sprung to life. A slight grin began to spread across his face and he shook his head. He felt the spirit of his forefathers cursing through his veins as he stamped down hard on the throttle. The indigenous people of America had a saying, in fact, it was a warrior's credo. Live every day as though it were your last, because one day it will be. Today was that day. He had decided. The search was over. It had been twenty years since he graduated university, and in the preceding years he devoted all of his time and sacrificed many a good woman in his convictions. He'd written reports and been seven hours on the subject, but now he had the satisfaction that every single one of his predictions had come to realization. Unfortunately, the satisfaction of affirmation was to be a solitary pleasure, which in a sense was deeply ironic, and it was only that irony that made him smile. A smile that was both defeated and victorious at the same time. In 2034, he had driven across Europe and visited the great monuments of history. He hiked his way through Asia and the Pacific Islands, and he collected and gathered all the resources he could possibly find, but all to no avail. The pickings were rich after the viruses had taken their toll. It wasn't just that, but the economic decline he had foreseen had fully taken its grip. In 2021, he delivered a paper to the United World Committee warning that the level of spending in the developed world on military defenses combined with the underfunding of healthcare would cause a complete meltdown of the so-called developed world. But would they listen? The politicians and the world leaders had far bigger plans on their agenda. They saw the fall of the neighboring countries as the perfect opportunity to gain absolute control. And in doing so, they inadvertently heralded the complete fall of their own empires. And so it was that the developed world very quickly became the third world. All structure and systems of government collapsed over the course of a few years due to lack of funding, a succession of small but fierce nuclear wars and general disorganization of society as it was known. In his own lifetime, John had seen everything he knew to be reduced to ashes. But the burning question had remained. How had he survived not only the outfall of the global weather, the earthquakes, violence, and the economic disaster, but more importantly the rampant new strains of virus that had swept the earth? Billions had died in a very short space of time, yet he had remained healthy and alive. Perhaps it was due to his scientific insight, his extensive skill at being able to not only perceive trends, but also to be able to make preparations and contingencies for protection. Maybe he thought he should have spent more time building relationships, but that was a hindrance in his view. He had a very clear idea of precisely what was going to happen, and the more time went on, the more he realized that he could do very little about it. Sure, he had torn himself away from normal life on more than one occasion, but throughout it all, he knew that it would inevitably end in sadness. It was this sword of Damocles that sometimes was the only thing that retained his sanity.
Sandy was one such pearl amongst the oyster bed. She was blonde, as most Californian girls are, slim and delightfully shallow. John and Sandy were a regular item down at Hermosa Beach, and he'd relished the opportunity to display his bravado on the waves. They'd light a fire as dusk was falling, and listen to the CDs that their mother and dad used to play as they made love in the sand dunes. With Sandy, he could have been complete. They could have raised a perfect family. Billy and Yvonne. Billy would have been an Ivy League champion and Yvonne would have won trophies for horse riding skills. And oh, how they could have clapped and cheered at the parents' evenings as they collected the school trophies. But it wasn't to be. I have to go to Russia, said John. But why? I don't understand, she replied. It's just something that I have to do. It is my job, he replied. And so it ended. Suddenly, and without any looking back, John packed his bags and set off to join the other scientists in search of a plan to ensure that Billy and Yvonne would live to see the accolades of graduation. It was a good thing that John's dad had taught him to operate a simple radio transceiver as it stood him in good stead on his various travels around the world in the forthcoming years. During that time, he had kept in touch with Sandy, but as time went by, the signal faded, and eventually, he got the news that the virus had finally hit the West Coast. All he had left now was the solace that he still had his uncle's property in New Mexico. Taos was a sleepy town, and its tradition of artisans and hippies suited John just fine. After a lifetime of study into ecological and financial matters, the air of artistic exploration was the perfect backdrop for his sojourn. He was tired and spent, but most importantly, he was defeated. The town had crumbled from a population of about 4,000 to zero in the space of five years. He could take his pick of all its resources, and he did so with great relish. He built himself an adobe house out of the scraps that he could find and hurled himself in for the nuclear winter that lasted about six months after the mainland of America was hit. But that was then, and this is now. John had finally all the proof that he needed. There was simply no one left on the planet, with the exception of himself. He was quite literally the last remaining human being on Earth. For whatever reason, history or God had decided that he alone should be the last representative of one of the planet's most significant species, the one which had caused the most damage and the one which had successfully brought about its own downfall. And now, he was master of it all, and ruler of none. John parked his beaten-up campervan carelessly on Fifth Avenue and slammed the door. A silence deafened his ears as he stepped out. The long abandoned shops and houses echoed with a ghostly resonance as he walked towards the building. Very few of the original buildings had survived the tsunamis of the 2020s, and fewer still remained standing after the war, but this one remained. Like the clock tower in Hiroshima, he poked fun at the sky in triumphant defiance and he climbed the stairs into the grand old foyer. Once inside, he knew he'd have to climb the 102 floors to the very top to complete his destiny. As he walked, he recounted every step of his journey so far. He thought about the protests of Australia. 
the riots in France, his prison internment in Northern Africa, and the bloodshed in Brazil. He scanned his memories for all of his reference and was completely convinced, without a shadow of a doubt, that right now, as he lived and breathed, there wasn't a single other human being left alive on the entire planet. He'd rescued what equipment he could find, resurrected all the electronic systems and computer networks he could handle, and spent years scanning shortwave radio for any sign of human communication that might be out there. But there was none. This was it. It was the end of days. The end of an epoch, and alone he was going to make the final noble gesture. As he reached the observatory deck, he paused for a long while and looked northwards towards Central Park. That's where John Lennon was shot, said his father in his memory. Who's he, said John? The man that you were named after, son. He was a very famous songwriter once upon a time. And then it was that Sandy came back into his mind. She stood there with her hair blowing in the soft breeze, with her easy smile and soft curves. But John shrugged them both off, and started to climb the secure defense that surrounded the perimeter. Standing on the very top of the railings, he felt as though he was about to bungee from hacky scans in Australia, as he had been a thousand times before, except that this time, there would be no bungee to halt the descent. This was it. The real deal. The final act of noble defiance. As he fell, John Doe felt the wind whistling through his graying hair. It was the most exhilarating experience he had felt since he was in his twenties. Although he was certainly plummeting to his own certain death, he had the secure knowledge that it was the final act not only of his own struggle for truth and freedom, but also a very deep and deliberate statement of closure for the entire human race. What else was there to live for? All that was to be done had been done, and it had failed. Every invention, creation, dream, religion, and great work was now irrelevant as he sailed silently towards the grey concrete below. And in that silence, on the final day after all was finished, as John fell to his death with the wind whistling in his hair, he heard a telephone ringing. Oh dear. Poor John. What a terrible fate. If only he'd waited, you could have found out who was ringing him. Oh well, act in haste and repent at leisure is what I always say. Just imagine though if you'd let off a building in the belief that you were the last human being on earth, and then realize that you were wrong. Anyway, what a lovely story to send you off to bed. And I do hope that it gives you some wonderful dreams and wise words. Well, in a change to the usual format, this month I'm going to end on a rather appropriate song. This is a little lullaby which is sung by Phyllis Robbins, and she is accompanied by the famous Henry Hall Dance Orchestra. You might remember a few months back I played his version of the Teddy Bear's Picnic, but here he is again with another children's favorite from the 1930s called the little man who've had a busy day. Take it away, Phyllis. The evening breeze is dying. 
Moon is in the sky. Little man, it's time for bed. Daddy's little hero is tired and wants to cry. Now come and dance and wet your weary head. Little man, you're crying. I know why you're blue. Someone took your kitty car away. Time to go to sleep now, little man. You've had a busy day. Johnny, run your marbles. Tell you what we'll do. Better get some new ones right away. Time to go to sleep now, little man. You've had a busy day. You've been playing soldiers. The battle has been won. The enemy is out of sight. Come along, there, soldier. Put away your gun. The war is over for tonight. Time to stop your screaming. Time your day was through. Can't you hear the bugle softly say? Time you should be dreaming, little man. You've had a busy Join me again 
And once again I switch on my time machine and invite you to listen to Uncle Ridge's Magic Radio. Well, that familiar refrain signifies our pleasure, and I'd just like to say that it has been a pleasure as it always has, having you as company for the last 60 minutes, and I hope that we can do it all again next time. Would you like that? You would? Oh, that splendid news. All that remains now is for me to say to, say to you that as you're tucked up in bed, I shall be thinking of you. So for now, this is your Uncle Reggie saying good night, children, wherever you are. Uncle Reggie's Magic Radio is a Corniche pastiche production and featured Dawn Lindsay. Acknowledgements and credits go to the generous community at freesound.org. It was written and produced by J. Bramwell Slater, who will be appearing in Pilot Theatre's production of Blood and Chocolate in York during October. You can get in touch with Uncle Reggie by writing to reg at bramwellslater.co.uk. You can also visit the website, uncleregismagicradio.tumblr.com. He can be found on Facebook as Reginald Merriweather, as well as on Twitter at The Real Reginald. This episode will be broadcast again next Sunday at the same time, and the next new episode will be broadcast on the last Sunday of August, which is the 25th. All the podcasts are available on the website as well as iTunes. But now, it's very nearly 11 o'clock.